Um, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And in the but in the future, he will honor Galilee in the Gentiles of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The, re the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Okay, let's come before our Lord and uh, think about this passage in Isaiah. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day that we share together now. Uh, we thank you for this passage in Isaiah chapter 9. And we pray that you'd help us to understand it from Isaiah's time and also help us to understand how it was fulfilled in the New Testament. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been in a situation where you've been holding out for help to arrive? Perhaps you've been uh, on the side of a road with a, a car with a flat tyre and uh, it's not been simple to change the tyre yourself. You've been waiting for help to arrive. Well, one of the stories of the year uh, involved help arriving to some boys that were part of a soccer team. I like to get the illustrations with a bit of soccer in there. Uh, these uh, boys were a part of a soccer team in Thailand and they were lost deep within a cave. According to one journalist who covered this story, they'd covered a lot of stories in their time, but this one was their favourite feel-good story of all time. Apparently things weren't looking good for the boys in the cave. The monsoon rains were coming and the waters were rising. It was getting tricky and they'd been missing for a while. The good news was a special forces team arrived, made their way through the caves up into a high spot where they found that the boys were, were high and dry. And as the first rescuer made his way up through the water to shine a light on the stranded team, there was footage capturing the boys celebrating his arrival. It's a, it was a great moment. Help had finally arrived. Now, whether you're a young Thai soccer player stuck in a cave uh, waiting for help to come and it finally arrives, or whether you're a person standing on the, the side of a road, like I've been on my push bike once when Joanne had to bring a spare tube, uh, it is wonderful. It's wonderful to see when help finally arrives. Now it's Christmas time, isn't it? So as we think about this time of year, 
as we think about the birth of Jesus, this is also a story, isn't it, about help finally arriving as well. It's not just for a few people, some who are stuck in a cave, but help finally arrives for humanity. But it's not as though there hasn't been some waiting. And that's what we see in today's passage. The passage read earlier to reminds us that people had big hopes for the future, for a time when there was going to be help finally arriving. But when it came, it was quite surprising how it turned out. Now, part of understanding the Bible is seeing the, the promises and their fulfilment. And this passage is actually popping up in a few places in the New Testament, but it's important for us to understand how it might have been understood first when it was written in Isaiah's time. And so I'm going to take us through a little bit of an explanation now. On your, your sermon article, sermon outline rather, you'll note that this is a message for the people of Isaiah's time. And I'm going to help explain some of that from there. The first thing to note was Isaiah was a prophet who lived in Judah. He lived through the reigns of several kings. And the story in chapter 9 grows out of some sad times. The first chapters of this pro prophecy really deal with the people's sin. Both the people and the leaders were the ones who forgot about God. They forgot to love and serve the Lord. They forgot to be God's different people to the, the nations. Instead, they became like the nations around them. And consequently, they faced God's righteous judgment against them. That's part of the story up to chapter 9. The other side of the story, though, is Isaiah does give a message of hope to the people. We're given a view of life that goes past the time of judgment through to times which are much better. And so the people are encouraged not to despair, even as they go into what might be described as a bit of a storm. In chapter 6, Isaiah is called to be a prophet, called to turn the people back to God and to speak to them about the judgment that's coming, but also the hope. And he's told that although the people are going to hear him, they're not really listening. I'm smiling because I think my wife says that to me sometimes as well, Peter, you're, you're hearing me, but you're not really listening. Well, this is the case that happens in chapter 7 as well. Uh, Isaiah is sent to one of the kings of Israel, King Ahaz. And Ahaz is anxious. He's anxious about two kings of the north, the king of Syria and the kings of Israel. And he's, he's uh, worried about them ganging up on him. Isaiah is sent to him and gives him some words of encouragement. And in a summary, he's told that by the time a child, this child's called Emmanuel, by the time he comes of age, the threat of war from those two kings will have come to nothing. It will have passed by. It's the idea that... It's the, the idea of really is bound up with the time of this child. It's like saying if there's a lady out there and she's not married yet, she's still a little girl, by the time she has child and child grows up, this will be the time when that threat's going to be extinguished. Well, you'd think that Ahaz would have understood this as good news from the Lord and actually trusted the prophet's word. 
here we see Isaiah, here's what, sorry, Ahaz hears what Isaiah says, but he doesn't really listen. Instead, he tries to make a deal with the Assyrian king, Tiglath-Pileser, to solve his problems. Now, at this point, as we deal with these kings of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser, we're not dealing with stories like Lord of the Rings and, uh, you know, The Hobbit and things like that. This is, this is real history. If you study the HSC and do ancient history, you, you come across Tiglath-Pileser. So this is real, real fact, real history. So Ahaz tries to deal with Tiglath-Pileser to solve his problems. But that just shows his problem. His problem is that he doesn't trust God to sort things out. And so from there, things head south, so to speak, because the Assyrians become problems for Judah as well. And thus we find this Emmanuel of God with us turns out to be God coming to them and visiting Judah in judgment. By the time we get to chapter 9, there's finally some good news. And it's good news even for the people who are up north in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee. These are the areas where multitudes of people from different backgrounds lived. Hittites, Canaanites, Arameans, because the Assyrians repopulated that area in 735 BC. And there's a message of hope to those people of a better time to live with a better leader to come. There's hope for a better king than King Ahaz. That place up north is described as a place of darkness, perhaps because they've been conquered in the past when the Assyrians came in. That was the first neighbourhood they conquered. Perhaps because the people there are not united in serving the living and true God. Yet even that mixed-up land can anticipate some good things to come. They've seen, in verse 2, a great light. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is hope for the future. And joy is expected in verse 3. You've enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. This is a picture of some celebratory times. And the reason is because the oppressors have been defeated. This recalls the time back to Gideon, when Gideon had victory over Midian, using uh, some torches and smashing some pottery. We find out that in verse 4, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. War is going to be a thing of the past and victory is going to be followed by peace. These are good times to look forward to. Well, why can they look forward to these good times? The reasons given is because there is going to be a new leader, a child's born who's who's coming from a royal family. He's special, he's destined for royal power, and he's going to be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His reign and peace will have no end as he sits on the throne of King David forever. Those who are reading this for the first time in Isaiah's time, looking for a better king than King Ahaz, 
They might have been looking for Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, who turned out to be a pretty good king. But the fact is, this hope eluded even the best of the kings of Israel. Not even Josiah uh, was a perfect king. In fact, the New Testament writers saw the fulfilment of this prophecy arising in their time, the time when Jesus came. And so it's important for us now to look at some of the passages which talk about how the New Testament writers understood the fulfilment of this passage. The plan is explained first to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. If you're following on with this in the readings, you'll see the, the references are given there in the outline. I'll pick it up in Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The promise of Emmanuel in Isaiah chapter 7 is really shown to be fulfilled in a special way in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew notes the literal fulfilment of those words as Jesus is conceived and is later born. And this is a good news story not only for Joseph, Mary is also given exciting news. We pick this up in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 verse 30 but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so here we note the connection with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Jesus will reign on the throne of David and his kingdom from that time forth will be forevermore. This is a hard thing for Mary to understand, isn't it? And that's also understandable. This is what one commentator said about this incarnation. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. There was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction 
is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. That was a comment by J.I. Packer who wrote a book called Knowing God. Well, we see that John the Baptist also prepares the way for this coming one, this rescuer. And his father, Zechariah, gets excited. He's, he's filled with joy and he speaks a prophecy in Luke chapter 1. I'll pick it up from verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. You might have recognised that quote from Isaiah 9 verse 2. Here we see the promise fulfilled, because John would prepare the way for those living in darkness. Jesus comes in the first place uh, as he grows up in Nazareth in Galilee. And Zachariah is excited about the prospect that the rescue is going to come, that God's going to visit his people in the person of this saviour and rescue them from their sins. And we can understand people getting uh, excited, can't we, about rescue plans. It's a, it's a very good moment when rescue comes. We also live ourselves in the shadow of death, don't we? And after death, the Bible speaks about a day coming called the Judgment Day. And so we also realise that we need rescue as well. It's against that backdrop of death and judgment that we do live our lives, that we plan our days, and we're, we're grateful to God for giving us as many years as we have. But we still know that we face death and judgment. And yet even in the face of those things, we can see today that God has been kind to us. Here, Zachariah is reflecting on God's goodness to give forgiveness of sins and peace with God through this coming one. And John the Baptist is getting people ready for Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. This is something to be enjoying. In a marvellous way, Jesus fulfills Old Testament promises. And we see Matthew make this link also in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to 17. I'll read that section. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the sea, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfil what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. In fulfilment of the hope in Isaiah 9, Matthew notes that Jesus comes to bring light to those living in darkness. And as Jesus comes, he calls people to repent before they enjoy life in God's kingdom. Now this idea of repentance, it's the meganoite word in Greek, and it's about changing your mind and putting your trust in someone else. 
The idea is we need to forget about trusting in ourselves. We need to be among those who are trusting in Jesus as the one who brings salvation. The Bible reminds us that apart from Jesus, we've got no hope. Uh, We're told in John 3.36 that if we don't have the Son, God's wrath remains on us. And the prospect of, of a future with God's wrath is a daunting one. It's not popular really to talk about hell, uh, but that's the place that's described in God's word as where people go who are out of fellowship with God. It's described in terms like outer darkness and a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's, it's a dreadful place to be and it sounds dreadful, And we're warned about it because God doesn't want us to be there. Instead, he wants us to be grateful for the good news that he's rich in mercy. And that's the message that we really do have today, that God's been rich to us in mercy. He's visited the world in the person of Jesus. This is called the incarnation. And it's an English word coming from the Latin meaning in and caro, which means flesh, and it means being in flesh. This refers to the way the Son of God has assumed a human form in Jesus. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus lived as a man and later died and rose again for sins. And for those who trust him, the promise is forgiveness and life with God both now and in the age to come. Uh, This is a profound mystery. It's hard for us to get our our heads around this idea of the incarnation. Uh, Paul also describes it in the words in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. I'll read that section. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is described as the second person of the Trinity who was in very nature God and yet took the form or the nature of a servant and took on human flesh in order to be our saviour. These are deep things to ponder and they're they're wonderful things to be grateful for. In fact, to do it justice, I'm going to quote from the Westminster Confession which summarises some of this idea. It speaks about Jesus being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and of her substance. So that two perfect and distinct natures The Godhead and the manhood were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition or confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. And we're beneficiaries of that profound mystery of the incarnation, if we also trust in Jesus as the one who rescues us too. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Each calendar year we come to Christmas time and it casts our minds to ponder uh, who Jesus is 
and his nature each year as we think about this baby born in a manger. Now, I enjoy presents and eating plenty of food at Christmas time, probably just as much as the next person. And I'm sure you find some things enjoyable around this time of year as well. But despite the fact that our society has probably hijacked Christmas uh, and over-commercialised it, uh, it's important that we remain as those who have our focus on God's Word and the centre of it is really about Jesus. Maintaining our hope this Christmas in the right place with our focus on Jesus is the place to be. We've got to remember that he is the God-man who took on flesh for our sakes to bring forgiveness for our sins and bring salvation. And just as those boys, just to bring it back to this story in Thailand now, uh, enjoyed a celebration when they realised that their help had finally arrived as they saw some special forces soldiers pop up through the water and shine a light. Uh, may we be those who celebrate, since we've got something even better than a, a special forces soldier, don't we? Uh, we've got Jesus, who doesn't pop up out of water and shine a light, but he's actually been the one who's born into the world and comes to live and die as a man for our sins, to bring us rescue from, not from a cave, but from an entrapment to sin, death, and, and the judgment of God to come. So let us be grateful for Jesus who comes to help us, Jesus who's our rescuer, our Lord and Saviour. Let us be grateful to God for that this Christmas and moving forward into the future. Let us bow in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we do give you thanks for your goodness to us in Christ, that you've sent him to be our help, to be our Saviour. We thank you that we enjoy the comfort of your grace and the forgiveness of your sin, our sins. And we pray now that as we live, you'd help us to be among those who always are grateful to you and want to live our lives for your glory. We pray that you'd strengthen us to do that and we pray that you'd help us to encourage one another in our service of you. Thank you for your goodness to us in Christ and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.